I'm your host, Annie Bowles, and this is News Du Jour. Welcome to News Du Jour. You may be wondering, why am I, Annie Bowles, here hosting this podcast? I usually start by telling people I'm a political baby. You see, my parents met working on Capitol Hill. By the time I was two, I had been in my first political commercial and even got lost crawling around the West Wing. Don't worry, Al Gore found me. My family then moved abroad when I was nine, and I attended an international school in Brussels with kids from all over the world, and it is this type of global perspective that I also bring to our show. I graduated from American University in D.C. after studying political science and art history, as well as interning on both sides of Capitol Hill. I even interned down the hall from where my parents met. I'm now pursuing a professional certificate in journalism at NYU in conjunction with Rolling Stone magazine. I guess I was always that friend in the group who cared deeply about not just what was going on politically, but also globally. I often kept my own friends informed through high school and into young adulthood. So I guess I've always done a version of this show. I'm genuinely passionate about following the news, and I'm here to break it down for you guys every weekday. We always strive to be a calmer space to get your news, or as one listener put it, like getting your news from a well-informed bestie. I'm so glad you're here. All right, guys. Happy Monday. Welcome back to the news du jour. We have five little like reminders and updates for you guys right here at the top of the episode. So that's a lot to go over right at the top. Then we are going to cover that plane that was seen on fire in the sky. Yeah, we're going to break down that story for you guys. And then we're going to spend a big bulk of the episode going over the details of the Chevron case, which is, you know, kind of rising in importance. People are realizing this could be a really pivotal Supreme Court case, along with lots of other pivotal cases we are seeing in 2024. And then we're going to jump into our Israel, Gaza, Middle East updates. Let's go. So first and foremost, something kind of fun. The Wild Mother Creative Studio here in Oklahoma City has generously gifted our listeners $10 off for Valentine's Day. So if you're interested in getting an arrangement from them, they are basically... If you're not familiar with the Wild Mother's work, you should be definitely go follow them on Instagram no matter where you live. But basically, they are like artists when it comes to florals. They just do the most creative uh, arrangements that you'll see. And they don't typically do these small scale arrangements. Typically, they do these huge installations that are really works of art. Um, But around the holidays, you know, Mother's Day, things like that. You can sometimes book an arrangement with them in advance, and that's what they're doing for Valentine's Day this year. So again, if you use code News Du Jour with them at checkout, you'll get $10 off your arrangement for Valentine's Day. 
So for our next sort of reminder, this Tuesday, we will have the Academy Award nominations coming out. So I am personally invested in Lily Gladstone in Killers of the Flower Moon. I just loved her character, Molly, and how she executed it. And it's really cool that it was filmed right here in Oklahoma. So I am hoping to see her win some awards. She really made that film for me. And if we see her win, we will also see her make history. And then another sort of reminder update, February 8th, which is my birthday, by the way, (laughs) is the date the courts have set to hear arguments about whether or not President Trump can be on the ballot. No big deal. Just a casual, you know, normal day. If we are able to watch these hearings, proceedings, arguments, I will be watching them and I will be reporting back to you guys in its full color, because this is something that I would never want to miss. And then next up, Ron DeSantis accused Fox News just in the past few days of protecting Donald Trump. And Fox News, though they have previously been a fan of DeSantis, did not take this lightly, and they called for him to, quote, step aside and endorse Trump, end quote. So it's fair to say shots were fired. But that's exactly what DeSantis did, actually. It's hard to say whether or not this Fox News comment had any bearing on his decision making, but he folded on Sunday evening and suspended his presidential campaign. So now it's just Nikki and Trump. This will certainly be an interesting showdown. And for our last mini story today, it's also important to note that our stock market, you guys, is at a new record high. We just saw a huge rally at the end of 2023, the last few months, but now we are up even higher on the S&P 500. We beat the previous record from January of 2022 by 1.2%, according to the New York Times. Onward and upward. Okay, now we will get into our longer news stories for the day, and we're going to discuss the plane on fire. So there have been a series of really alarming plane incidents as of late, and that is doing nothing for my anxiety surrounding flying. I'm actually taking my son on an airplane for the very first time, you know, in 2024 this year. And so I'm definitely even more nervous than usual. But we've covered all of these stories on the show, you know, from the crash on the runway in Japan to that panel of a plane being blown off mid-flight. And now a plane was literally seen on fire. Let's get into the details of what happened. So fortunately, this was not a passenger plane with like lots and lots of people on it who were just civilians, but rather it was a cargo plane. Specifically, it was an Atlas Air Boeing 7178 cargo plane, according to ABC News Australia, and it was filmed as it made an emergency landing in Miami. The fire happened on the way up out of the airport in Miami, and fortunately, all five of the crew members aboard the plane were safely evacuated once they made that emergency landing, and there were actually no injuries. But I cannot imagine what was going through people's heads when they looked up into the sky in Miami and saw a plane on fire. I mean, 
to me, that probably felt more akin to like a 9-11 situation than like the accident that it was. But, you know, this is adding more pressure on this industry. You know, Boeing is already kind of under fire after that panel flew off one of their planes mid-flight. And between COVID and the climate crisis, the airline industry is just already under a lot of stress. And now the FAA, Federal Aviation Association, has yet another investigation on their desks. We'll keep you guys posted on what they figure out. Okay, and now we're going to jump into some of the really important and nuanced factors of the Chevron case. So a really important case is making its way through the court system, and the Supreme Court agreed to hear it. It's starting to be talked about a lot more, and it's something that is a little bit complicated, so I wanted to take the time to really get into what this case is all about. And I will say, actually, on its face, it seems complicated, but it's more simple than you would think. It just has a lot of far-reaching implications. So let's break down the Chevron case. According to Bloomberg Law's podcast, Cases and Controversies, the Chevron case is considered a, quote, bedrock principle of administrative law, end quote. So while there actually is debate among experts as to what exactly Chevron does, at the heart of the matter is whether or not expert testimonies should shape legal outcomes. This is basically whether judges should or should not defer to experts. And as I'm sure you can imagine, this takes on a lot of different forms within our judicial system. Whether it's engineers explaining how broadband works or medical experts differentiating between a drug or a supplement, judges, even the very best ones in our country, simply cannot be experts in every field. They are experts in the legal field, but Chevron determined that they are not qualified to make determinations in all cases, and they must defer to experts, which seems pretty reasonable. But the attorneys making the case against Chevron are arguing that Chevron causes the courts to lean on government agencies for guidance and that those agencies are actually more concerned with politics and policy. So they may be essentially skewing things towards their political agendas rather than providing unbiased expertise. But the reason that this line of thinking could be dangerous is because imagine if judges were making decisions in areas where they are not experts. You know, a lot of these government agencies exist to be in charge of people's safety, and they know where people tend to get hurt in their field of work. The judges could make decisions that aren't safe for Americans simply because they are uninformed in a certain area of expertise. But it's also important to note that there is a law that kind of runs parallel to Chevron, and that's called Skidmore. And Skidmore essentially seems to assert that the judicial branch should hear experts out, but doesn't have to defer to their testimony. So some people prefer that kind of approach where, you know, you have to listen to the experts, but you don't have to follow their advice necessarily. And they think that Chevron should be tossed out in favor of Skidmore. So that's the heart of what the Chevron case is really about. But I also wanted to actually now circle back to the beginning here. 
even though this case has taken on bigger weight and meaning, it actually began as a case brought on by herring fishermen. You see, these fishermen are required by law to pay for someone to come along on their boats and basically make sure that they're complying with safety regulations and things of that nature. They think that this is unnecessary. And this was a provision that was established by experts under the Chevron Doctrine. So many other powerful entities that want to see Chevron dismantled basically got together to back these fishermen up. And that's why Chevron is currently up for debate right now. But the Supreme Court is not going to be talking about the ins and outs of fishing protocol or boats. No, no. They are focused on the bigger questions at play here and the implications of overturning such a foundational statute. We will definitely keep you guys posted as this important case makes its way through the court system. And lastly for today, we have a few different updates for you guys that have to do with what's going on in the Middle East, but I do have to issue content warning here. This story involves multiple wars. So a rift in the Israeli leadership. This is something that I think is going to be really important to keep an eye on. But a rift is emerging among Israeli military leadership. And this was evidenced by a military commander publicly criticizing the man in charge, Benjamin Netanyahu. Essentially, this commander asserted that the two objectives of the Israeli military are innately contradictory. They are trying to both free the hostages safely and eradicate Hamas. The problem is the hostages are with Hamas. And it's gotten to the point where Hamas has been very consolidated. So if the Israeli estimates were correct, originally before the war, we were dealing with about 22,000 Hamas fighters total. And now there are only 13,000 left. And they've all fled northern Gaza for the south. So again, they are very consolidated in this area and they are under a lot of pressure. And the hostages that are with them are also under that pressure. And Hamas has said that they will not negotiate with Israel again unless they agree to stop all the fighting, which pretty much seems like it's something that never is going to be on the table. But at the same time, top Israeli officials are saying that they don't believe these hostages can be rescued by any other means other than diplomatic channels. I venture to guess that the Israeli people would like the hostages prioritized over the destruction of Hamas. I don't have any like factual information or statistics to back that up. That is just a gut check, you know, sort of guess. But Israel has traditionally put rescuing its own above all else. So Israel finds themselves really between a rock and a hard place. We'll definitely keep you guys posted on how they choose to proceed. So next up in our Middle East updates, Iran has said that Israel launched an airstrike in Syria that killed some of their senior military officials. So over in Damascus, a blast left the streets covered in a chalky white dust. Telephone lines were leaning and clouds of smoke were rising into sunny blue skies. 
And again, Iran claimed that some of their top military officials were there that day and were killed in that blast. And they claimed that it was perpetrated by Israel. And now they have, of course, vowed to retaliate. And if you're not following the through lines here, allow me to connect some dots. Remember, in the past few weeks, Iran claimed to be attacked by terrorist groups in Pakistan and Iraq. So they attacked them back. And remember, when they did that, they did it with long-range missiles. And experts were guessing that this was in order to send a message to Israel that they were capable of hitting them as well. And now they have that excuse to attack Israel, and it may be an excuse that they've been waiting for. Except we don't know if Israel really conducted that strike in Syria. Israel seems pretty focused on Hamas and Gaza and freeing the hostages right now, along with fending off Hezbollah and other extremist groups in the area that are already attacking them. And they haven't directly taken accountability for this attack in Syria. And it doesn't seem like Hamas figures were killed in it or involved in any way. So this really could be some kind of plan by Iran to provide themselves with the reasoning they needed to attack Israel and essentially attempt to draw the United States more directly into a state of war. At the end of the day, Israel has been, quote, locked in a shadow war with Iran, end quote, according to the New York Times, as they have been attacked by several proxy groups that are funded by Iran. So this almost feels like Iran's master plan clicking into place. And that's going to leave our last story for you guys, giving you chills. Unfortunately, I have to leave us off on an even more shocking and disturbing piece of news. So you guys, I cannot make this shit up, but the United Nations announced last week that Iran, as in Iran, will be named president of the Conference of Disarmament. I know. It's horrifying, it's disheartening, and honestly, it's dangerous. As the executive director of the UN Watch Group put it, quote, having Ayatollah preside over nuclear weapons disarmament is like putting a serial rapist in charge of a woman's shelter, end quote. In case you don't know much about Iran's history in this area, they have a long track record of conducting secret nuclear arms programs and have not come to the table in recent years to agree to a nuclear arms deal. So it almost sounds like a joke that they would be put in charge of such a committee that's focused on nuclear disarmament, but it's real life. And given what they have done to their own people, it almost feels like they shouldn't have any leadership roles at the UN at all because of human rights abuses, point blank. It's becoming clear that Iran, more than any other nation, is a rising threat to global stability and has real intentions of harm against any democratically run nation world over. And that is the news du jour. Today, I wanted to leave you guys with the quote, Courage doesn't always roar. Sometimes she is just the quiet voice at the end of the day whispering, I will try again tomorrow. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use to listen. A rate and review on that platform or a shout out on social media would mean the world to us and help us to be able to keep creating the news du jour and reach more people who need a calmer space to consume the news. But the best way to support all of our work is to become a patron at www.patreon.com forward slash sugar free media. And that is also linked in our show notes. You can follow us on social media at newsdujour.podcast on both Instagram and TikTok. You can follow my personal account at it's Annie Bowles on both platforms as well. Any little noises you may hear in the background are my rescue pup. He has a little separation anxiety and always records with me. We appreciate you listening and look forward to telling you about the news again next time on News Du Jour. Broadcasting from Oklahoma. Oklahoma.